Welcome to Food Bites with Sarah Patterson and Kevin Hillier. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Food Bites with Sarah Patterson and Kevin Hillier. I can't wait for this show today, Kevin. Well, you have to. Well, you know why? Well, you don't have to because this is it. <laughs> it's arrived. <laughs> it's here. The 222 from Glen Garrett. I'm in the presence of greatness and I don't just mean you, you, Kevin. Thank you. I don't just mean you. I Thought mean our guest this week. We're talking to Normie Rowe this week. What a legend. A yeah. legend of the Australian music industry and what a fascinating life story oh, he has to tell. Wow. He's uh, he's been through the mill uh, mm. in, in many ways. Uh, you know, even even at the height of his popularity, they put him through the mill when they conscripted him into the army, uh, totally uh, illegally. Well, basically. and which is confronting enough if you if your number comes up or oh. you're called up. I can't imagine how that must feel. But when you come yeah. back to find, I guess, uh, radio stations uh, turning their back on you and um, and just oh. really trying really hard to to get a record and get some exposure. The whole country. Country turned their back yeah. on, on on the people who fought for us in Vietnam. It was sad. It's not like that now. Thank goodness yeah. it's not. But it was it was harrowing. So yeah, Norway's got a lot of stories to tell, and we're going to uh, just uh, open up a little tiny weeny envelope of them well, today. Well, and you know, one of the highlights comes towards the end of the interview when Normie sings something of a duet with me. <laughs> well, he helps me. Well, he okay. uh, he's. We'll get to that. We'll he get to that. He thinks I did a good job anyway. Yeah, we'll get to that. And our food poll this oh, week. Oh, it's a South Australian delicacy. Can we call it a delicacy? Oh, uh, well, we'll find out. A mushy, mushy, mushy pie floater. Yeah, almost as mushy as Sarah, Sarah gets it during this interview. <laughs> Sarah. As Sarah gets it during this interview. Put your teeth in, Kevin. <laughs> yeah. oh, uh, uh, there we go. There. Almost as mushy as Sarah gets during this interview with the one and only Normie Wright. You're listening to Food Bites with Sarah Patterson and Kevin Hillier. So, are you any good in the kitchen, Mr Rowe? I think I'm more than average handy, and that stems from 15 years of being a single dad with two kids that I had to feed every night. Uh, During that 15 years, there wasn't one shopping basket with... Uh, with potato chips or or um, soft drinks, uh, we had water. There was water in the tap. You're thirsty. There's water in the tap. Go and drink it. Mm-hmm. Uh, we didn't have cordials or any of that sort of stuff. And we we got this system going where we would go into the uh, in the supermarket, for instance, go into the the produce part first, all the fresh food. So it was all. You know, we'd find essentially the protein for the next couple of days. So it might be uh, it might be uh, uh, beef or chicken or you know any of the protein fish. Um, and I would certainly uh, spin it out through the week, make sure that uh, that uh, there was a good um, variety for the kids. Uh, and then we go into the the uh, uh, produce, fresh produce, you know, the, the, uh, everything from the potatoes to the uh, to all the leafy green vegetables and uh, various things. Um, and the last place we would always go would be to any any processed foods, and that mm-hmm. was before that. Well, I mean, my son now he was when he first we first started on this single dad journey. Uh, he was uh, about five, four or five, 
But that's pretty impressive, um, Normie, that you um, were able to refrain from from buying cordials and sweet drinks and uh, and processed foods. So was it a was it a meat and and veg type uh, situation that you were serving up for your kids? Well, there anything that that produced the proteins. Um, I, I remember years and years ago, a long time ago, I went into a dentist. Uh, I was in a dentist waiting room, and um, uh, I I saw on the wall that uh, that food triangle or pyramid. Yeah. Do you remember that? Oh, yes, yes. They had the butter and oils at the top, and I think they had uh, vegetables and fruit at the bottom. Yeah, yeah, it was whatever it was, it was the general balance. Yep. And I I sort of used that, uh, plus a couple of different cookbooks that I had uh, that would just be like, I make a spag bowl better than anybody on the planet, don't we? (laughs) (laughs) What's, What's your secret ingredient, or do you have one? I watched uh, Matt's What I Reckon. Oh, yeah, he's great. <laughs> I love him. I love him. <laughs> but I um, I can't bring myself to put milk in it. <laughs> but he's, that's his secret ingredient. But no, um, look, a good, a good um, I, I always looking for the healthy choices and things. When I say healthy, I rather than just buy the leanest and lean ground beef or the, or the cheapest and nastiest fattiest ground beef, I'd sort of be in the middle somewhere because mm-hmm. you lose a bit of flavour there. Uh, but there, there would always be lots of fresh vegetables in it, you know. There's lots of fresh tomatoes cut up, uh, even if they – it's better if they're sort of a little bit overripe. Um, and then, uh, you know, things like garlic and Capsicum, I always finds its way into, but I would yeah. never put peas or corn into into my ragu. It just it would be <laughs> no. That's that's a million different shades of wrong. The uh, the peas and corn. I know people who do that. It just does not look, and it doesn't feel right. Yeah, and I I cooked. Do you remember the show that Maggie Tabra and uh, Richard Zachariah had that home show? Oh yes, that's going back. But yes, I do. Well, they came to my place once. We had this marvellous kitchen, and they asked me if I would cook something. So I decided to bring out the family corn uh, Cornish pasty. Oh, and um, you know, my, my my family on both sides uh, stem from Cornish background, so you know it was a hand me down thing. But a lot of the ingredients tended to get a little bit mixed up uh, through. The, the Depression and the Second World War, and you put in these pasties, what is traditional, uh, instead of that, you would put in what what was available. So I, mum quite often used parsnips instead of turnips oh. uh, and, and um, to, to fill it out with meat more rather than just only have skirt steak, uh, she would use... Um, uh, ox kidney. Well, you have to go a speci- to a specialised uh, uh, butcher to get half of this stuff now. Mm. Um, <laughs> but I made some recently, and they tasted great. I didn't. I made a couple of mistakes. Uh, I fortunately found Rick Stein, who lives in Padstow in Cornwall, and he actually did Cornish pasties at. Um, as per the traditional 
um, thing and a traditional recipe. And he let this old Cornishman uh, taste his pasta. He said, you didn't put peas or carrots in this, did you? (laughs) (laughs) Because uh, Maggie said, couldn't you put anything else in these things? And I said, well, I never have. Uh, And mum never did. And mum had something about eight or nine brothers and sisters. Um, And they all had their version of Nana's pasties. And I said, well, I suppose, big mistake, rookie mistake on TV. (laughs) I said, I suppose you could put peas and carrots in it. Oh, well, Uh. you reckon I didn't get (laughs) lambasted (laughs) by all sorts of aunts and uncles and and the the thirty or forty first cousins on my mother's side <laughs> for <laughs> hey, suggesting peas and carrots in a in a Cornish party. <laughs> hey, Normie, um, during your performing days, um, I I read that you um really uh, looked after your voice and, and your body, and and you didn't drink uh drink any alcohol. I did. I didn't have a drink until I. Well, I of course you try it when you're a when you're a teenager, I suppose, or a late teen adolescent. Um, but I didn't find anything that was palatable for me uh, until I, I was in Vietnam. Um, and I was 10 months into my uh, tour of it was October uh, that I discovered Bacardi could, you know, the strength of the Bacardi, Bacardi could, be, um, uh, could be diluted by putting anything in it. It's <laughs> <laughs> true. So that was about my first entrance into drinking uh, more often than I than uh, probably would have liked. But um and I have I have had moments, especially in, in times when because I've been dealing quite a for quite a lot of years with PTSD and and my way of coping with it at one stage was to half a bottle of bourbon a night and mm. That wasn't great for me, and I knew I was doing the wrong thing, so it wasn't so hard to so, to curtail that. You know, I I don't drink that much these days, but um, I do love a really good red or, or red wine or some white wine. So I I love the, um, some of the the French white wines, uh, like Sancerre is fantastic, but you know it's seventy bucks a bottle. So you, it might last me three days. Three yes. or four. Fair yeah. enough. Uh, hey, hey and, Norman, you, you mentioned Vietnam. You mentioned serving uh, serving your country as you did. Uh, you know, not willingly. Let's be honest. Um, you're conscripted into into that situation, uh, and not not the best of circumstances by any means. But the Vietnam Vets Day is coming up on the 18th of August. What now that the, the passing of time and uh, and all that? How do you feel about those things these days? Well, I'm often asked what I'm doing on Anzac Day, and I say which one because every single day of my life, something about uh, ex-service comes up, and it's, it becomes, a, you know, an important discover uh, discussion. So, uh, just recently, I was at the launch of the Legacy Marathon, which is going to run from uh, Poziers in in uh, in Belgium over to London where the first legacy club was formed and then down to Australia and it'll go right across Australia and end up in Melbourne. Uh, and uh, so 
I was there for that because I'm a great a great lover of doing anything for Legacy. I think they do a fantastic job. Yeah. Uh, then I I did that was the week before Anzac Day and on Anzac Day I did a service in Sydney, um, and uh, that was that was quite uh, quite moving. I I had to read uh, uh, I suppose the the war record or citation of a 104-year-old man who happened to be present at the time. He came out of hospital so that he could be there. And to see this man, he he recited the ode, but he started with the verse before the one we all know, they shall not grow old. Uh, he, he said they went to the foe. They, they went to the foe with their... Uh, I can't remember how it goes, but he did. Uh, and he did it without reading or anything. And he stood up. He left his walker and stood up straight and and recited the ode. And it was a magnificent effort of courage, I think, and and dedication to the people he thought were his mates, um, and to all veterans, I suppose, and all those who served and lost their lives, and the families, for instance. You know, that to me has has been an issue that has been not really uh, covered all that well the, the, the pain that families go through you, you don't just send one person off to war you send the whole family and mm. the micro community around them yeah so uh, and then this, this uh, Vietnam Veterans Day I've curated the music for a service at the Melbourne Shrine and I have John Schumann, Marcy Jones Denise Drysdale and Mike Brady and, and, and me doing all doing some songs at the Shrine. Uh, that'll be pretty nice. Uh, then we're going out to, to uh, Greensboro uh, RSL in Melbourne and we're doing a show there that night with, with just uh, Mike, uh, John Schumann and myself. Yeah. Um, but like I say, every day is one of those days for me. Yeah. Normie, I, I know you've spoken at length about it in, in the past, but I'm interested, just the uh, the, the feeling of, of being conscripted, um, I, I can't even imagine what, what that must have felt like on learning that, that news. What does it feel well, there like? Was, there were about 60,000 of us, and I guess there'd be 60,000 stories and 60,000 um, attitudes, you know. I mean, you, you would have bank jockeys, you know, tell us. You'd have uh, uh, apprentice mechanics, and you'd have uh, people on the on the land, uh, you know, learning how to be farmers. And you'd have plenty of. Uh, there were. I served. I served with a guy who was doing his medical degree. He's going to be a doctor, and he became a gunner in a um, a. a, a, a Infantry section who he carried the machine gun. It was was sort of like a to me that that was a big surprise. Uh, but there, you know, every there were all sorts of walks of life, uh, and I think that was the one upside, I guess, of conscription uh, that that it was the most uh, uh, the most educated. Um, bunch of people ever to go off to a war, I think, you know, mm. uh, from Australia. So there were there were upsides, and there still are upsides for me. You know, some of the some of the people that I I know that that are good friends um, 
it's uh, you know every one of those days we talk we're we're uh, in touch with each other we send each other um photographs of where we are and all that sort of thing <laughs> and and the stories abound how 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 much better we were uh, as we get older <laughs> you know um the the older we get the better we were is is the saying but um uh when you see these faces and you remember and you remember the ones that didn't come back they they, they are quite sad and uh, um, very, very solemn moments. Just want to finish on this. Do you still get angry uh, in terms of talking about uh, your conscription days? Do you still get angry about it, or is, is that subsided as well with time? Uh, well, I'm, I've never been angry about about being called up. I've never been angry about it. I, I think you're probably alluding to that day on the, on the midday show, but I, I I get I get a bit annoyed at people judging uh, without much knowledge, without much, um, uh, you know, they they judge from their own personal sets of values, which is sort of fair enough, but they they get it wrong very often. And I think uh, on that day, certainly Ron, Ron uh, <laughs> uh, Casey had it wrong. And, and I was surprised because his, his, uh, his brother was in the Second World War um, and I was surprised that he took the issue uh, that he took on that day. It's quite weird. It's um, it's interesting, um, Normie, because we did discuss that incident before we um, spoke to you today, and and uh, and we did wonder about asking you about it, but whether you continue to be asked about it, and whether you're sick of being asked about it. Oh, look, you know, I've put it to rest. I've reconciled. I reconciled almost immediately. Anyway, uh, it's. <laughs> It's a little bit of a bummer uh, to know that the Playboys and I had, you know, eleven top ten records um, in in a row between 1965 and the time that I even when I was still in the army with Penelope and uh, Turndown Day, um, and, and to know we had that much success and people want to talk about this one. One incident, you know, which was a you know, less than three minutes on national television, but it was interesting. A friend of mine who lives in Norway these days phoned, phoned me from Norway and said, "I just saw you on TV." Oh God, goodness me! Uh, because uh, your your recording career was uh, was spectacular. I mean, there was no bigger start. You were the you were the biggest thing going around in that late part of the sixties. My God, you were huge. Well, and you know what? After I came back from Vietnam, I couldn't get a Guernsey. Yeah, unbelievable. It was it was weird. Um, in '74, which is only you know it was only four years after I got back from Vietnam, I recorded a song which uh, we took to Tokyo for the World Song Contest. A song called Elizabeth. Yep. And uh, the only radio market in Australia that Elizabeth was played was in Brisbane. It was. I, I just kept getting knocked back, right, left, and centre. I never ever did countdown. I only ever did Hey Hey It's Saturday once, and that was with the cast of Les Mis. Um, and fortunately, I had the midday show, and I had also which I did four times a month, and I also had uh, 
uh, the Don Lane show, which I was doing twice a month. Yeah. But if if without that exposure, I I would have faded to into oblivion. So I thank the producers every day for that period of time. But but I to try and get a record away was just unbelievable. And and um, Mark Rhodes from Astor Records helped me do the promotion in Brisbane. We got it into all the radio stations in Brisbane. It went to number one and stayed there for five weeks. Yeah, it was a big. Song. And yet the 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 music directors of the radio stations everywhere else in Australia, I heard the thing come back to me where one in particular in Melbourne, um, and and fourth and ninth three, it's what's the point of all day. Where where uh, the music director said, Normie Rowe, oh, he's already had his shot. Uh-huh. And I thought, well, you know, that's the attitude. You know, you just uh, you just look at um, what what could have been. But like I said, it is what it is. Yeah, hey, it no- is what it is. Normie, and, ha- and here I am. I'm still I'm still working, singing, doing shows all over the place, and those music directors have gone. Yeah, yeah, good point. How did how did you go, uh, Normie, with the adulation from the the many many fans who loved you? Loved it. (laughs) I had (laughs) I had a wonderful family. I had a great family. Every time I came off tour, uh, I'd hear stuff from either my brother or sister or mum. You better go back outside. Your ears are caught between (laughs) between the door jams. (laughs) Your head's a bit big. Oh dear. (laughs) And and it was wonderful. You know, we'd come back. On tour, we'd be in a big, uh, big uh, coach. Um, there'd be two bands and a number of singers, 20, 25 of us, and they'd pull up outside my house in, or my parents' house in Northcote, and we'd all pile in, and mum would be sitting there cooking ba- bacon and eggs because we'd come, <laughs> travelled all night, and she'd be out there cooking bacon and eggs and giving us all a cooked breakfast. Oh, but I love it, it. You know, and you, you can't go wrong if you've got a family like that. You just can't go wrong. Yeah, and I, I think when, when you see the people who have had sad, sad demise, uh, you, you can look into the family situation and know that, uh, you know, there but for the grace of God went I. Yeah. You know? uh, now, we know you like, your, you know, you loved your mum's bacon and eggs, but these days, are you a coffee snob? Are you uh, <laughs> someone who needs coffee to get you going in the morning or what gets you up and about? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I do. Uh, but, you know, I didn't I didn't drink coffee until about oh, probably 10 years ago, so I was in my 60s. Wow. Uh, and, a, and a friend introduced me to affogato. Oh, on the ice cream. Oh, hello. Yeah, and dessert, and it was just marvellous. And and then I was over in Perth working uh, at, a, at, at, um, at, at a restaurant that I, I really love. It's a restaurant called Friends. Uh, and the proprietor, that's a great mate of mine, and the piano player, who was Italian, um, Frank, said, Mum and Dad are lucky to come over and have some some uh, lunch with us, and I said, "Yeah, sure." So I get over there, and, and Mum and Dad are Italian. <laughs> of course, so it was like going going to somebody's place and having a banquet. It was amazing. And uh, uh, Frank Senior Francesco, uh, Frank said, hey, "Normie, you must have had a cough." And I said, <laughs> he, he, "Frank said he he means coffee. He's got a new coffee machine." 
<laughs> and I said, I said, no, I don't drink coffee. Thank you. He said, no, 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 no. You must drink a coffee. <laughs> yes, yes, the coffee. But you must have had the sugar in the coffee. That was, that's what I miss you. <laughs> 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 so he brings out a short black and, and piles some, some uh, brown sugar in it, raw sugar in it. And it's the first time that I, because I couldn't stand the smell of coffee. I couldn't go past a coffee mm. a cafe, you know. It was, and and that was the first time. And uh, then my son became a fantastic barista, uh, at, and also, you know, he did all the study and sh- played these CDs that he got of of uh, where coffee comes from and making sure that you go to a cafe that is sing, single origin <gasps> and and mm. fair price and all that sort of stuff. Um, so if you think if if I'm a coffee snob, it's mainly because I, you know, coffee can be sourced in rather unfair ways on the on the planet. So okay. I try to, you know, do the right thing. But yeah. I've got uh, I've got to say that I probably, you know, I, I probably wonder why people don't drink coffee. <laughs> <laughs> well, you were converted, so he did a very good jo- job of that. And you're right, it does have a – there's a lot of science about uh, about coffee and making great uh, coffee. So having said that, Normie, so you you like your coffee. You sound, from what we've um, we've ascertained from this interview, that you, you lead a pretty healthy lifestyle, but does that leave room for uh, anything naughty or sweet? Oh, of course. I think you have to – do a balance on everything, you know. But I eat a lot of fruit, and I, I last night I had some some lovely lean pork chops with with a salad. Just cooked it up myself and made the salad for myself. Because um, uh, my my fiance, uh, yes, I'm going again. Uh, <laughs> on, yeah. it has has her masters in uh, gastronomic tourism from uh, Cordon Bleu in Paris. Oh goodness, that's impressive. Uh, Samantha, and you may you may know know who her dad was. Um, his name is uh, Dennis Gowing. Ah, uh, Kevin Dennis from, Holden. You know, yep. Ke- Kevin, Der- Kevin Dennis Moto and Gowing's Restaurant, of course. Yeah, um, he was he he, he loved his, uh, his food, and he was a bon vivant, you know, of the ilk of uh, of uh, Lynn, um I, you know, he you knows his name. God. Uh, uh, anyway, it doesn't matter. Uh, yeah, so she um, she started in hospitality in her teenage years. Uh, then her her brother and herself owned the Grace Darling Hotel in uh, Smith Street, Collingwood, where she um, where they they took it from a local watering hole to uh, ha- having three chefs hats. Very impressive. That's, so it was, mm. it was a, a a place to go. And Samantha lost her dad to cancer, and always believed that you know believed in eating yourself well. You know, mm. um, and and she's written a, a number of books. Uh, she teaches wellness uh, around the world. She's just come back from a, a journey through uh, Southeast Asia. She was. It went uh, first of all to um, uh, uh, to Bali, and then to Bintan, and then across to uh, Phuket, where she was teaching the master, the uh, executive chefs, 
at all the uh, at all the club med uh, uh, venues around uh, Southeast Asia. She was teaching them uh, the theory of wellness because people are now travelling around the world and uh, as as gastronomic tourists, but so that they'll go to a restaurant and they want. They want to know that the food is great. And, of course, great food always starts with the fresh produce mm. uh, from the local markets. And, uh, and sh- she's already got uh, Club Med <laughs> away from using margarine. And <laughs> she's, she's uh, helping on and making sure that people uh, eat well and eat themselves well. Yeah, because food so, at the end of the day is medicine, isn't it? Sounds like you're well, in good hands, Mr. That's, Rowe. That's, that's, in fact, her... Food as medicine is is her. Um, she she started that idea off some twenty five years ago, twenty three years ago, something like that, and, yeah. and runs a, a a very successful website and newsletter called Food Health Wealth. Oh, right. So, so good. Do you know what? I'm, this is completely random. And having mentioned uh, Ken, Kevin Dennis, I have a jingle in my head now. Update, update your car with your Kevin, car with Dennis. Kevin Dennis. <laughs> update. <laughs> well, I've got to say that when I first got married the first time and we couldn't really afford a car, I sold a Hammond – well, I traded a Hammond organ in on a – on a Holden at Kevin Dennis in Northcote. Oh, wow. <laughs> I love that. I wish, the I wish of I still life. had that Hammond organ these days. <laughs> oh, and I got to say that uh, I sang with Normie Rowe. Not many people can say that. And you did very well, too, Thank by the way. Oh, oh. Don't encourage her, Normie. For God's sake, please don't encourage her. It'll, oh, it'll be, uh, it's all I'll get for the next seven days now. I'll be, I sang with Normie Rowe. I sang with Normie <laughs> Hey, Normie, it's been lovely catching up with you, mate. It sounds like you're in good hands. sounds like you're in a, a good uh, good uh, part of your life and uh, enjoying it, and uh, we, we've really loved having a chat to you. Thank you. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm in a good pasture, I've got to say. Thank you very much for your time, both of you. <laughs> no. And um, perhaps, perhaps we'll break bread together soon. That would Hope be lovely. So. Thanks, Thanks Normie. Normie. Appreciate it. You're listening to Food Bites with Sarah Patterson and Kevin Hillier. Wow. Okay, floodgates are open. What? It ain't necessarily <laughs> so. No, I prefer it ain't. A, my version I of love, the car jingle. I love uh, – Normie, Normie did some great songs. Oh, yeah. It ain't easy. He had a real it ain't uh, baritone uh, voice. Yep. And, uh, and then, of course – Little did we know that he would be capable of actually going on stage and doing and doing those big shows like Les Mis yes. and stuff. We thought, he's a pop singer, he can't do it, but bang. Yep, yep. and open to a bit of oh, laughter, yeah. a bit of fun and uh, very easygoing yeah, guy. So thank you, Normie. I thoroughly enjoyed that. Yep, we certainly did, even though don't encourage her ever to sing again, Normie. If, what we, I, if they, our paths cross again, Normie, she... I don't think anybody asked for your opinion. However, <laughs> something that I, I'm, I'm not very enamoured with is the pie float. I can't say I've actually tasted one. I'm not very keen to try one. It, for those who don't know... Well, it'll be explained. Well, yeah. But it is a pie upended in... As explained in the very first one where Sylvana says, don't know what a pie oh, floater is. Oh, that's why I, we should probably do that before I explain it. Looks it looks like a pie in green stuff. I do like pies, but what's the green stuff? Oh, I to think which I, Food I Bites with Sarah Patterson replied saying, Sylvana, it's a pie in pea soup. I believe it's oh. a South Australian delicacy. Well, yeah, but but I wonder whether it is pea soup because someone else took issue with that and said it's mushy peas. Terry read, Daniel read says. Read on McDuff. 
<laughs> These are an Adelaide treat shown to me by my wife, who was an Adelaide girl, says Terry, many years ago. Harry's Cafe de Wheels at Woolamaloo in Sydney used to have these as a treat too. It's now in Newcastle. And Terry says, ew, mushed peas. No, thanks. Yeah. The only way to eat peas is with lots of mashed potato where they can be hidden and made easier to eat first and then get to the meat on your plate. So that's an A, I believe uh, Terry's wonderful brother, Glenn, had an aversion to peas. Oh, okay. <laughs> when we spoke to I've him. I've never met anyone who's got an aversion to peas. <laughs> uh, pea soup, says Sarah. I always thought it was mushy peas in a pie uh, flatter. Interesting. I love peas. So if it's a vegetarian pie with mushy peas or pea soup, I'll take it. I reckon Sarah's right. It is mushy peas, not necessarily pea soup. That's no, pea soup. <laughs> Sue says, I'd give it a go. Yay from me. Uh, Kim says, never tried one, but I okay. think I'd like it. Kerry says, I would rather eat this than a lot of other things, but I wouldn't line up to eat it. I'll let you decide later if that's a yay or a nay. Robin says, you'd have to be pretty bloody hungry to tuck into this. <laughs> Karen Young says, it's a big fat no from me. I tried to like it whilst I was in England because my friends over there said everybody loves, everyone them. loves them. No, I'm not everyone. Unless I can hang on to it and manage not to get sauce on my hands or meat down my shirt. I don't want to eat it any other way. Glenn Rodder <laughs> says, nah, not for me, Pado. Oh, that reminds me of a pie at the footy down your shirt, sauce the all over Famous, yeah. famous footage that uh, Sandy Roberts was calling the footy at the time. <laughs> yeah. And the person's pie, uh, the, the uh, contents of the yes. pie went on the shirt yeah. and next minute the shirt was up Maybe, to the thing, yeah. <laughs> like that. Uh, Muriel says, nah. Uh, Michael says, why spoil a good pie? Mick says, I say yay. Still sauce on the pie, but um, mushy peas rock. Michelle says, never heard of a pie floater, but that looks disgusting, (laughs) whatever it is. So it's a big nay from me. (laughs) Tell us what you really think. Ingrid says, uh, it is a pie in pea soup, nothing like our Dutch pea soup. It's a South Aussie thing and it's disgusting. (laughs) Jacqueline says, British food at its worst. Oh. Uh, David says, I ate them in Sydney and Adelaide. A good fix if you're really hungry, but nothing beats Melbourne-made lamb souvlaki or a Melbourne-made pizza. No other city anywhere in Australia can match the quality, taste or price than in Melbourne. Thank you, David. Uh, Judith says, where's the chips? You'd have to Good point. dip them into the no, pea soup. No, yuck. Chris Gates, yep, he says, pie needs to be upside down though. To which David says, Chris, it will be upside down when I throw it on the floor. <laughs> Not a big fan of the pie floater. <laughs> Wouldn't be floating then, would it? <laughs> yeah, well, face down. Be splat. It should be. The pie <laughs> floater should be face <laughs> Just down. Just on the floor. Yes. <laughs> Catherine says, I don't know, remove the tomato sauce and it might be quite nice. Now, Davin says, yay, had one in Adelaide many moons ago. When in Rome. <laughs> what the Romans do. Andy says, not a chance, no peas for me. Megan says, yay, nothing better on a cold (laughs) winter's day. Gee, we've still got a lot of responses to this. Tony says, uh, used to get them for lunch during Shield cricket matches in the 70s. I can't remember which state, though. That's Tony Dell, the uh, the famous Queensland fast bowler. Wow. I was a bit of a fan of Tony's. Talked to him on a podcast recently about his book. And and the cricket theme continues. David Colley says, well, it wasn't Sydney because lunch was so bad in Sydney, we used to get the roomy to get us Nellie Bly's from the outside bar, oh, and I'm he assuming... Was, he was Australian test player, wasn't he, was, he David so Colley? so was Tony Dill. Well, gee whiz. And I'm assuming Nellie Bly's is David Colley rhyming slang for pies. Oh, very clever, Kevin. You're took, all over it, it took, like a cheap can suit. Can I just say, it took me ages to work it out. <laughs> <laughs> it took me ages, David. Thank you very much. You shouldn't have owned up. Len says yes. Another cricketer there, Lenny Belkin. Yes. Uh, Karen Wright says yummy. 
Patricia says, I think not. Peter Mobsy says, pass. Pies need sauce, not peas. <laughs> David, shocker. Roz, oh, nah. Our friend Brian Mannix. Who he, doesn't eat. He right? says, yeah, rock on. If it isn't, doesn't come from a Kentucky Fried Chicken store, Mannix doesn't eat, so I don't know how, what he'd be doing with this. <laughs> Sam Newman says, seriously, just Oh, <laughs> Jim Wilson, nay, just give me a pie and sauce, for goodness sake. Uh, old Crokey says, eh, why ruin a perfectly good pie? Most definitely not. And our friend Glenn Driscoll says, only when drunk. Fair enough. Wayne says, Oy. what sort of a sick and twisted individual could even <laughs> envisage such evil as illustrated here? Oh, hang on, it's from Adelaide, enough oh. said. The meat pie is a culinary treasure that is a joy if you get a good one. It's wholesome, tasty and can be eaten on the go with ease. Why anyone would then take this piece of genius and plonk it in a bowl (laughs) of green foulness that looks like it's been squeezed from a cadaver's bile duct is completely beyond me. (laughs) Sorry if you're having breakfast or lunch. The biggest problem I have is that introducing liquid defeats the very reason a pie is formed as it is in the first place. Mm. The convenience and ease of eating the aforementioned delicacy is completely and utterly destroyed. I was in Adelaide quite a few (laughs) years ago and after frequenting multiple establishments and imbibing many pints of fine ale, someone said, let's get a pie. (laughs) It sounded like a great idea, a quick snack to soak up some alcohol whilst we walked to the next pub. I was then horrified to be handed a bowl containing this filth. (laughs) The disappointment washed over me in waves as I tried to work out how to even tackle this bowl of mutated sadness. (laughs) I would rather walk barefoot through Legoland with a, after a cyclone than eat this disgrace to the pie world. No. <laughs> oh, dear. Hell of a way of going and saying no, Wayne, but oh, I loved every minute of it. Oh, dear. I've lost my appetite now. Uh, it's, it's, it's a nay. It's yes. a 70-30 year split for the nays uh, with the pie floater, but Adelaideans absolutely uh, yeah. go. I love pies and peas. We used, to, we used to drive to a place in Brisbane to get – the mushy peas put inside the mm. pie, like you lift the little flap up, put the mushy peas in there, put the little yeah. flap down and eat them like that. Yeah. And I still make them like that uh, today. I like a bit of pea soup, but I don't want to no. combine it with a pie. I mean, Ooh. Wayno's got a point. The whole purpose of a pie is to be portable and be able to eat it with ease. Head. Yeah. Crispy, head. flaky Whoa. pastry. You don't want to make it soggy. Yep. Yep, absolutely. I don't think, but I'm still picturing no. the, the pie face down on the floor. Well, that's where it should be. And so should the person who invented it just quietly. <laughs> they should be face down on the floor too and probably were at some stage. Hey, thanks to Normie Ray for being on the show. Yes. It was an absolute treat. Yes. Uh, to, to have a chat to Normie. He's a really good fella and he is, uh, as he mentioned, uh, performing around the place and uh, you can go and see him live. Check out his website, normyrow.com, and you'll get all the dates where he's appearing and you can buy his records and all that sort of stuff if you want. Love so. your work, Normie. Thank you, Normie. Uh, thank you, Sarah. Oh, Kevin, thank it's you, a Kevin. pleasure. Oh, you've all been great. See you next time. <laughs> Thanks for listening to Food Bites. Check out our Facebook page for recipes, tips and all the latest news. That's Food Bites with Sarah Patterson and Kevin Hillier.